guess before I open up the Bible uh, to share with you uh, my thoughts on Acts chapter 15, I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in uh, uh, Yoli and uh, my uh, our lives. Um, as you know, for some years now, the Lord has uh, allowed us uh, and has given us opportunity to be of service to His church. Uh, located in Key West, and Satellite Beach, and Jupiter, and Boca Raton, and Fort Lauderdale, and Hollywood. And so we have had those opportunities and uh, believe that the Lord is calling us into the ministry. And so in order for us to answer that call, uh, we have, um, and to make ourselves more available, we have resigned from FedEx. Uh, effective June 16th, uh, no longer employed with FedEx, and more available uh, to to uh, serve the Lord in the ministry. Now, there has been some question as to what exactly this ministry will look like. Well, as I said, uh, he has afforded us the opportunity to uh, preach and to teach and to encourage the saints in song and in word uh, in an effort to build them up in the faith most holy. And we would uh, continue uh, that ministry here in South Florida. Now, there, uh, I have mentioned as well that we have a desire to be of service to the Lord, uh, not only here in the United States, and to his people, I should add, not only here in the United States, but have also and would like to make uh, our availability known to the assemblies uh, in Korea, and in the Philippines. So October 15th, we intend in the will of the Lord to travel to Korea and to the Philippines to make our availability for the Lord's work known there. And so we will continue to reside and live uh, in Florida as the Lord leads and wills and continue to be faithful to the ministry that he has given to us here. And so we would ask for your continued prayer uh, and uh, encouragement, if you will. Uh, this is uh, this is something new for for me to um, step outside of the secular world for work, if you will. Uh, I have no intention of retiring, and some have said, Tim, you might be uh, qualified for some unemployment, even you know, because you submitted your letter of resignation for September 30th, and they terminated you June 16th, and so you might be, uh, you know, authorized, entitled to some unemployment. And I said, well, the only way a person can get unemployment is if they are, in fact, unemployed. I have no intention of being unemployed, but I would hope, uh, by the grace of God, that I would be more employed now than I have ever been in my entire life heretofore. And so, uh, with great anticipation and trust and confidence in the Lord, we step out, as the word goes, step out in faith. Um, and we would just uh, continue to ask for your, your prayerful uh, uh, encouragement. Uh, let us know that you're thinking of us from time to time as we, uh, as we launch out and uh, answer the call that the Lord has placed on our hearts. We thank you very much. Well. There's one other thing that I should mention, I guess, is that tonight, uh, as has been mentioned in the announcements prior, that there are two Bible studies tonight. One is going to be at Dave Bosworth's house, and he's going to be continuing that very important study on marriage. You know, 
marriage is an institution that our adversary, the devil, attacks daily. Some of you guys who are married might know. He attacks it daily. Why does he attack it daily? Why does he spend so much attention and put so much effort and time into tearing down the institution of marriage? Well, because it is that wonderful institution that God has ordained. And it is a wonderful... Through Scripture, you can see so much how God points to that marriage. What does he talk about? Uh, the Lord Jesus and, and the bride, the church, all of this, uh, this marriage institution, how important and how much effort and energy our adversary, the devil, places on attacking it. So a very worthy subject to be taken up uh, tonight at Dave Bosworth's home. Also at my home, uh, we will be uh, looking at The Living God, which is actually the title that I gave Malcolm initially when he asked me what would be the theme. And when I said, The Living God, there was a pause. And I knew he was waiting for more. So I said, and his desire to have a relationship. And he's still waiting for more. I still gave him a little bit more until finally the title of what we're doing tonight is like this big. But it started out quite simple. The living God, the reality of the living God. You know, some of us, uh, we, uh, you know, have uh, believed in the Lord Jesus. And, you know, when we come together on Sunday, we look very much like we believe in the Lord Jesus. But sometimes, you know, when we live that Monday through Friday, Saturday thing, you know, we don't quite live necessarily as though we think He is alive and living and working with us and looking at us and in union with us, right? Because that's the amazing thing about our belief in the Lord Jesus is the fact that He takes up residence. Where? In this building? <laughs> no. Takes up residence in your heart right the reality of the living god and the fact that he actually wants to have a, a relationship with you i think another worthy topic and uh, look forward to seeing as many as are able uh, out uh, tonight to do that so having taken care of a little homework or a little uh i guess that's what it would be called let's open up our bibles to acts chapter 15 and see what the lord has for us today here i don't know what you all were thinking this morning but uh, I can tell you that uh, I read this morning that there are two types of people. There are morning people, and then there are people who are not morning people. There are some people who wake up saying, Good morning, Lord. And there are some people that wake up saying, Good Lord, morning. You know, there are two types of people, right? And how they approach uh, the day. Uh, I, I, I further read that there was a story uh, of a mother who was concerned of her son not wanting to get up for church on Sunday. And so she screams up to the top floor, the second floor where his bedroom is, Son, get up. It's time for church. And he replies back, Give me one good reason why I should get up. She says, I'll give you three. The first is I'm your mother and I'm telling you to get up. You've tried that before, haven't you, Mom? The second reason is, you're 40 years old and you know better. <laughs> the third reason she gave him, you're the preacher and you've got to be there today. <laughs> so, it is, it is true that there are two types of people. And I hope that each and every one of you here today has come with good morning, Lord, on your heart and on your mind to see what he might have in store for us. Well, Acts chapter 15 
And we'll read, uh, we'll read through the chapter. I think it's important. Uh, you know, the Word of God, even without commentary from any man, is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So without further ado, chapter 15 and verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And they declared all things that God had done with them. But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the, with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, 
It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, the epistle which when they had read, they rejoiced for consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets, also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. As I mentioned earlier, the word of God without commentary from men is powerful. And it does not return void. Now, I have uh, been looking at the chapter before us today, trying to understand exactly what was going on there by these that came from Judea and started preaching and teaching uh, the Gentiles that they must abide by Moses' law and be circumcised after the manner of Moses. What was going on in their hearts and in their minds? Do you know, it seems as though there is always opposition to the gospel. And do you know that sometimes the opposition that comes against the gospel comes from without. It comes from without the church. And sometimes... Opposition to the gospel comes right from within the very church. And you know, the reason for it is our adversary, and you know, we do have an adversary. Never forget that we have an adversary. And as you are remembering we have an adversary, remember also that we have a champion, someone who has overcome. And so, do not despair that we have an adversary, but be aware, be mindful of the fact that if he can, he will get a toehold into your life and he will do what he will with you. Remember, there are two things that he would like to do. First off, he would like to make you doubt God's word. He would make you want to doubt his love. Do you know that has been his tactic forever and will continue to be his tactic? Because if he can get you to doubt God's word, and he can get you to doubt his love. 
He can get you to doubt the gospel because your very salvation depends upon the pure, undefiled Word of God, the gospel. Undefiled, unpolluted. So we have unbelieving Jews that initially in the beginning of Acts were very opposed to the, to the gospel, very opposed to the Lord Jesus, very opposed to teaching. You recall how Peter and them were actually persecuted. They were thrown into prison for that very thing. And you know, they were beat and they actually suffered for preaching and teaching the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, for teaching about this man they called him, Jesus Christ. And you know, they met with fierce opposition. But you know, they counted it a blessing that they should be found, what? Worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And you know, you and I, we should also find it wonderful that we should be found worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. I think in life, we all too often want to go through life without having to suffer Anything, Because basically we as human beings, right? We don't like pain, whether it's emotional or whether it's physical. We do not like pain. And we'll go to great lengths to avoid pain. Let me just share with you in contrast, our Lord Jesus, though He knew that He would endure great pain, He knew that He would endure great suffering, He held none of that as important, but He said that I might win you, and that I might make a way back to God for you to be reconciled to Him, I will endure the cross. All the suffering that He was willing to endure, that He might reconcile the likes of us to God. Does it make you happy to think so? Does it make you happy to think how God loves you, that He was willing to give the best that heaven had, that He might bring you back to Him. You see, God is in the business and in the work of restoration, isn't He? He's in the work of restoration. He, from the heights from which man has fallen, is bringing man back to those heights that He intended and even to supersede that, to even exceed the heights that man was created for initially in the garden do you recall the story? He was to have dominion. And dominion resides with kings. And so God had always intended for man to hold that particular and wonderful place. That place of dominion and place of unimpeded fellowship with Him. So the opposition to the gospel, even from the beginning, came from without. Came from the unbelieving Jews. And you know, it also came from unbelieving Gentiles. Because it was not too much long after that where, you know, even the Apostle Paul, as he was preaching and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ and about salvation, there were others who were the worshipers of Diana. They were very upset with what had happened, what was going on. And they went with ad adversity from uh, even the unbelieving Gentiles. And, you know, from within the church, there were also false prophets. There were also people who genuinely believed a certain thing that may have been wrong, but they genuinely believed it, and they genuinely believed and were sincere in their belief, thinking that it was right, thinking that it was appropriate, and they preached it. And you know, they, some of them, we have that, that example of, of some who, uh, who were preaching, and they were only preaching and teaching John's 
baptism, the baptism of repentance, and they were showed a better way. They were gifted, they were preaching, and they were teaching with all sincerity, but had not known the full truth. And, you know, it's important for us to be able to make the distinction, to be able to understand, is someone sincerely teaching the Word of God, but is in error or has not learned fully what God's Word is saying? It is important for us to discern. When in doubt, what should we do? When in doubt, what should we do? When somebody is preaching or teaching something, what should we do? Who should we ask? I say it's a safe bet that we should turn to God and ask Him for wisdom and understanding. Is that a safe bet? Do we have anywhere in Scripture that might tell us we should turn to God? Oh, yes, we do, right? We should turn to God and we should ask Him. You know, from the Word of God, the Holy Spirit reveals His truth. But you know, the Word of God, like anything, it well, I shouldn't say like anything. The Word of God, unique and yet similar in some things, it does not immediately yield everything that it contains. There are some things within the Word of God that your mind cannot bear yet. And I know most certainly my mind can't. And you know, God is the greatest teacher that ever lived. He will teach you by way of circumstance. He will teach you by way of trials. He will teach you by way of teachers. He will teach you in all sorts of ways. And the wonder of God's teaching is that He will bring you from first grade to second grade to third grade to fourth grade all the way through all of your schooling years and He is going to bring you through it. The hard thing about God as a teacher is He doesn't give you a pass when you haven't learned it all. If you haven't learned everything there is to learn in the first grade, He doesn't give you a mercy pass to the second grade. And that's why sometimes, you know, as we're teaching and counseling some, right, they've got the same problem again and again and again. I don't know if any of you have ever had the same problem again and again and again. But you know, God in His infinite mercy and His love and His kindness and long-suffering and His patience will actually wait And He will keep bringing circumstances back into your life. Keep bringing people back into your life that will continue to teach you those things that you just don't seem to get. But oh, when we get them, what a wonder it is. And you know, He doesn't just stand there stiff facing. Yeah, you finally got it. No, wonder of wonders. He rejoices and He's glad. You finally got it. I've been trying to teach you this for years. And now you got it. What a wonder. God's patience, long-suffering, teaching, preaching continuously. I think from personal experience, I can tell you that when persecution or when challenges come from outside the church, it doesn't come as any big surprise. It doesn't surprise you when somebody who is an unbeliever and an obvious unbeliever challenges you, should you be sharing the gospel or preaching or teaching? It doesn't come as any great surprise. And it doesn't usually knock you off your feet because you sort of expect or anticipate that it is going to come from those who have rejected the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does kind of take you off your feet, though, is when from the inside of the church... There come challenges. There come things that are unexpected. I can remember one day preaching, and I won't tell you where, and teaching with all my heart that there is two sides to God in a sense when it comes to His love. And some people have said it's two sides of the same coin. There's love, but what else is there? Hello? Am I here alone today? There's love, And what else is there? There's wrath. There's wrath. I was preaching 
not only the love of God, but preaching the wrath of God. And I met with a man after the meeting. He came up to me and says, you cannot preach that. If you preach the wrath of God, you will destroy this place. Nobody will come into it. Nobody will want to be here. They don't want to hear about the wrath of God. And all of that stuff that you people preach the wrath of God, none of that really is it. God has died for the sin of the world and He has made salvation available to everybody. It's wonderful love. That's all there is. And people who don't really get it, you shouldn't really expect them to suffer wrath because the Lord Jesus took the sin of the whole world on them so they shouldn't have any wrath. There shouldn't be any... When stuff like that comes at you from within the church, it's startling and it's shocking. You don't understand how a person could have been within the church and have sat under so many... Uh, so much preaching and teaching to still have a doctrine where he would say that there is no wrath. The Word of God teaches quite plainly that there is wrath. And all those who have rejected the Lord Jesus, wrath abides on them. When things like that happen, it kind of takes you off your feet. And you know, this is what is happening in the first sentence of our study today, the chapter that we're looking at today. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren. They were received as teachers, weren't they? They were received as teachers. They were received as brethren coming down from Judea. They were received as those who may have been commended to teach, who may have been sent to teach, and they were received. And the words that came out of their mouth were completely and totally foreign to the doctrine that was shared to them by Paul and Barnabas, which was the doctrine of grace, right? Grace. And so these came down and not only were they, they were teaching things that weren't necessarily a lie, they started to add to what was already clearly stated in God's Word that salvation was by grace. Do we have some Old Testament examples of what it was to be saved by grace? I think it is full of examples and illustrations. But one that's important for us perhaps to note today would be Abraham, who, having believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. Did you know that before Abraham had ever even heard of circumcision, God had in fact declared him to be righteous because he believed God. And so as Paul was preaching and teaching salvation by grace. They came down and wanted to teach circumcision. Why does that happen? What happens? Why is the simplicity of the gospel, why does it anger the religious? Why do they get upset about the simplicity of the gospel? I would like to remind you of a story in the Old Testament about Naaman the Syrian. Do you recall Naaman the Syrian? Do you recall the condition that he was in? Naaman the Syrian, he was what? He was a leper. And he heard from a little maid that there was some man of God in Israel who could in fact cure him, heal him of his leprosy. Now as you know, leprosy is always that symbol, that sign, that indication of sin, right? And so the story before us is Naaman, who was hopeless and helpless in the condition he was in. He was a leper. And he heard that there was hope for a leper in Israel. Well, there's hope for a sinner in Jesus Christ, right? The hope for a sinner in the Lord Jesus. Well, there's hope for Naaman 
in Israel. And so he went. And do you recall he went with a great entourage? He didn't go by himself. He didn't sneak out in the middle of the night. He went with all the pomp and ceremony that a general should have. And so he went there and he expected, I would imagine, to be received as a general should be received. You know, perhaps they would have a little marching band. La, da, 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 da. And all of a sudden as he's marching in there, they would all, oh, here comes Naaman the Syrian. But he gets there and there's no welcoming band. Knocks on the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha himself doesn't even come out. But what does he say? Go dip in the Jordan River and you'll be, you'll be healed of your leprosy. It's that simple, Naaman. It's that simple. Go to the Jordan River. Dunk yourself in the Jordan River and you'll be free from your leprosy. So Naaman was very glad to hear that and he went right down to the Jordan River. Oh, I wish it was the case. It wasn't the case. He was upset. He was angry. He was offended. He packed all his toys up. He got all his people together and he said, I'm going back because in my own country, aren't there a lot better rivers than this muddy Jordan River? Isn't there a whole lot better stuff going on there than what could be going on here in this muddy river? They don't even come out to receive me. They don't welcome me. They don't do anything. They just say, go to the river Jordan. But you know, he had some wise men with him, didn't he? He had some counselors that were able to tell him. You know, if he had asked you to do some difficult thing, like run up to the top of a mountain and stand up there and uh, knock the top of it off or something. Oh, maybe you would have done that and you would have thought, well, that's a wonderful thing. I think I'll go ahead and do it. Why? The simplicity of the gospel. Why does it anger? Why does it offend? I think the answer is this. That you have no part. You cannot add one, say to yourself one thing that you have added to your salvation in order to win your salvation. Am I right? What were you able to add? What were you able to give to God for your salvation? What were you able to do? Was it your good works? Was it your good looks? What was it? Was it your money? Was it all your religious effort? What was it that made God save you? You have to admit complete and total bankruptcy, complete and total loss. It is not within me to save myself. It is not within me to save myself. Oh Lord, I see myself, my sinful condition. We were singing, at, singing the song at the cross, right? Where I first saw the light. Well, what did you see in the light? Did you see how good looking you were? Did you see the wonderful gifts that you had? Did you see how much money you had in your bank account? What is it you saw when you saw the light? You saw your sinful condition. And you realize that without a Savior, you were hopelessly lost and on your way to an eternity of blackness and darkness forever. That's what you see in the light. Praise the Lord, you see another thing in the light. <laughs> you see the cross and you see the One, the Son of God, on the cross, bearing... On himself, in his person, not, not your sin only, not my sin only, but the sin of the whole world. So that whosoever will, 
may come to Him and be saved. Why does the simplicity of the Gospel anger people? You know, when they went to Jerusalem, they went up there and they... Incidentally, has it ever, has it ever occurred to you the irony here that the people who were in Jerusalem that came down and taught were not apostles. But you know, the Apostle Paul who had apostolic authority and it had been demonstrated time and again, he didn't just simply rely on that. But you know, they went back to Jerusalem where they had a council of elders and apostles all assembled there together for the purpose of discussing this very thing. Can I tell you it's a wonder that God can use even the sinful inclinations of man to bring about His purposes. And I say that reverently and respectfully, not saying that God uses sin, but when a man sins, God can use it for good. Crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the biggest ones that might stand out in your mind. Peter says, Ye have taken him with wicked hands, have crucified and slain the Lord of glory. Well, that wasn't a good thing to do. But God in His infinite mercy, long-suffering and patience was able to take that offering, that sacrifice, and those of us who were the farthest away from God are able to be brought nigh to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a wonder in itself, isn't it? These people that came down and taught this false doctrine, taught this error that there must be circumcision to be included in the salvation. Matter of fact, they could not be saved unless they were circumcised. They that taught this, they that taught this thing, actually caused a good thing to happen, didn't they? It wasn't their intention to cause this good thing, but it actually did cause a very good thing because those who heard this doctrine... They said, you know, I won't just say because I am an apostle, I'm going to head and put my apostolic stamp on this thing and I'm going to say it's okay because I said it's okay. He went to Jerusalem and with all the apostles assembled and with all the elders assembled and those there in Jerusalem, he brought the issue there and they all discussed it. They all discussed it. And they came up with a conclusion that that teaching was in error and we have it forever recorded that it is the grace of God which affords salvation to man. Nothing else. Nothing else added to it. The grace of God and His grace alone. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. That there should be any pride in your heart as you come to the Lord Jesus. You must admit your complete and total lack of anything that would win you the position of salvation with the Lord. There are more examples than we could probably count on both hands of people who have tried to come to the Lord with something more than what was of something of themselves, their own works. Do you know, I will tell you, the simplicity of the gospel, do you know who it appeals to most of all? It appeals to the sinner who has, in fact, seen their condition and understands that they are, in fact, without a Savior, hopeless. So it appeals to the sinner. Seems weak to the flesh because the flesh would like to boast or to have some kind of pride or to have taken part in it. You know, I brought up that story of Naaman 
and perhaps I didn't finish the story, I want to say this, that Naaman, although he was originally offended because of the simplicity of the remedy for his condition and how he thought there were much better rivers in Syria, through the counsel of the wise men that were with him, he decided to obey Elisha. And, you know, he did go back to the river, and he did dunk himself in the river. And you know what happened? He was made whole. All the simplicity of it. Do you know, Naaman went home rejoicing. He went home thankful because he was healed. He was cured. His condition was done away with. He went home rejoicing and praising God. Do you know, it's important for us to accept the gospel as it is written. Some of us, and I know my, my own life, my own experiences tell me from time to time that I harbor a little bit in my own heart, a little bit. I wish it was a little bit. Maybe it's more than a little bit. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. I attribute to myself some good that I've done. Give it to myself as self-righteousness. Oh God, reveal it and help me to repent of it. But this is why the apostles took such umbrage with what, was, with what was being taught and went to Jerusalem in the council, had all of that done away with. There's one last thing I want to say in regards to this. I want to say this, that Simon Peter, you know, he stood up and he talked. And he, he reminded them, those who were there, that neither them nor their fathers were able to bear the law. None of them knew righteousness by the law. For by the works of the law shall no man, no flesh be justified. And you know, they knew it and they said, there's no way then that we can, seeing how God has given the Holy Spirit to these Gentile people who by simple faith and trust in the Lord Jesus have received the Holy Spirit. He's made no distinction, no different for us. Why would we then now go ahead and try to impose the law on them that we were unable to bear ourselves? And so, you know, what happened at that point was simply this, that uh, they stood and they said, these things we need to tell them are necessary, that they should stay away from the pollution of idols, right? That they should stay away from things strangled. They should stay away from what? Fornication. And they should stay away from blood. So, James sets these things out. We won't burden you any more than with these things. Sometimes I think we must ask ourselves, if circumcision wasn't appropriate, why were these other things necessary? Two points I want to make on it. One is, it was never said to them that it was necessary for what? For salvation. It was never dictated that it was necessary to them in any way, shape, or form for salvation. But he says these things are necessary for good conduct, for good relationship between yourselves, Gentiles, and who? The Jews. You would recall that at one place, Paul even ordained the circumcision of Timothy because he was preaching and teaching. And in another case, he, he wouldn't with Titus. The point being, in order to prevent offense where certain things 
would become so offensive and so contrary to the beliefs or the convictions of others that they should not be, uh, they would always be at loggerheads, at odds. And so the idea was that these things were given that they might have uh, greater ease of fellowship and communion because these things were totally offensive to the Jews, even though they had not been, perhaps not had been, to the Gentiles. But if they were to do these things, it would lend itself to uh, greater fellowship. And um, you can imagine, if you will, that if you had a sect of Jews that believed one thing and a sect of Gentiles that believed the other thing, they would not have any kind of unity, would they? Do you know there are two words? I'll finish up here quick. There are two words that stand out in Acts as we read through it. One accord, one accord, one accord, one accord, one accord. It is important that we be in unity with one another. And if there are things that we do that cause offense and that bring separation and disunity or disharmony, it is unprofitable. And to avoid those things would be, in the words of the apostles here, necessary. Not for salvation, but for fellowship. For fellowship. I will, at this point, end, but leave you with this thought. The gospel is simple. In its simplicity, we mustn't take the price that was paid for it for granted and make it of nothing, that it was nothing what our Lord endured on our behalf. Though the gospel is simple, right? Its demands are great. What does it demand from you? What does the Apostle Paul say? He says, I am crucified with Christ. In one sense, when we join ourselves with the Lord, we are, in a sense, forsaking the world, right? We become dead to the world and alive to God. So, not to take the gospel, even though it is simple, not to take it for granted or to make it something light, it's not light. It's a wonder. The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. An incredible thing, the gospel. Let us not confound it or frustrate the gospel by adding to it in its simplest terms. If thou shalt believe, confess the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart, thou shalt be saved. It is a simple gospel. It is a simple message. Let us believe it simply and humbly receive it. God, our Father, we come to you in the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus. We're so thankful for the simplicity of your gospel. We're so thankful, O God, our Father, that... If any part of your gospel had been left up to us, any part of our salvation would be some requirement of us, we would, O God our Father, still be in our sins. So, O God our Father, we come to you thankful for the simplicity of thy gospel. We thank thee for thy love and the son of thy love, the Lord Jesus. We thank thee, O God our Father, that by simple faith trust in thee, that we might have life and life everlasting. So, O God, our Father, we commit ourselves to Thee. We ask, O God, our Father, as we continue throughout this day, that thoughts of Thy Son and His work and what He has accomplished, not only on our behalf, but for You as well, O God, our Father. 
we would just ask that we would be more enamored with him, that we would be more committed to him, more devoted to him and to his word. Help us, O God, our Father, to be uh, in greater fellowship, greater communion with him. We ask it now in the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.